Welcome to Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman, the owner of the law firm called Grossman and Associates LTD, located in Newton and Nantucket, Massachusetts. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Larry Waldman, who's a psychologist in Phoenix, Arizona, who has a very interesting story to tell about a book he wrote recently, as well as others he wrote, and his relationship with children and parents during the divorce process. So welcome, Larry. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Good. I'm sure our audience would like to hear you uh, tell a little about yourself, so please give us an introduction. Fine. I'd be glad to. I've been a uh, clinical forensic psychologist for the better part of a half century now. Most of my uh, work in the forensic or legal area has been in the last 15 to 20 years. I uh, did a lot of work in the family law arena. I probably conducted uh, close to 75 custody evaluations. I was a parenting coordinator. I was also a therapeutic integrationist, or TI as as they call it here in Phoenix. And of course, I've counseled hundreds of couples, uh, divorced or otherwise, um, and and have seen hundreds of uh, children who have been caught um, in the uh, divorce meat grinder, if you will. Absolutely. That's a good word for it. Yeah. And tell us about the book you just published. Uh, this happens to be my, my seventh book. I, I tend to write uh, self-help books, uh, if you will. Yeah. Uh, this book is entitled uh, uh, Love Your Child More Than You Hate Your Ex. It's a great title. It's catchy. <laughs> Thank you. And the, the subtitle is What Every Divorced Parent uh, Needs to Know. It just uh, came out. You can go to outskirtspress.com slash loving your child more than you hate your ex. <laughs> so it's a matter of balance, trying to figure out uh, where your focus should be. Exactly. I read the book. Thank you. And I found it certainly right on, very focused on the very specific topics, uh, how to really focus on the importance of your children and really being sensitive to how kids experience their parents' divorce. Absolutely. That was one of the major points in the book is is to have parents become a little more conscious of of what's going on within the kids. Uh, How do they see it? In fact, it's something I, I, I talk about with parents a lot, uh, whether divorced or not, but particularly when they're going through divorce. Because remember, children, especially younger children, I'm talking now ages two to eight in particular, I think that's the most vulnerable age, mm-hmm. you see the world in a very narrow way. Yeah. As far as they're concerned, their little world is their reality. Yeah. They've got the best mom in the world. They've got the best dad in the world. Their parents have the best marriage in the world, mm-hmm. et cetera. And as far as they're concerned, what goes on in their home goes on in every home in the world. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. And and when when that fateful night occurs, and I've heard many kids describe it to me, where you know mom comes in crying and said, let's go into the living room. And dad is sitting there with his bags, looking very somber. And they tell the child that they've decided not to live together anymore. 
and dad is going to live elsewhere, their world turns inside out, upside down. Yeah, it's a bad day. I've seen um, and talked to, of course, a lot of divorce clients who come to me, even just thinking about the divorce. And I think the most dreaded thing is what is telling the children and how to tell the children. For sure. It's about your book. I, I was fascinated. First, there covers a lot of topics from, you know, how to choose a partner. And one of the quotes from your book is examine the rope before you tie the knot. I thought that was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and talking about, you know, how to be really careful about choosing your partner first, which I, I'm going to skip over that topic for the moment because I'd like to focus a little bit more on the divorce process since I am a divorce attorney and also the kids. And and then that whole f- idea of staying together for the sake of the kids. What is your thought about that? Well, I get that question a lot. The answer is uh, generally no, as I talk a little bit about that in the book. If you can maintain the semblance of a reasonable relationship, uh, at least uh, sleep in the same room, maybe not the same bed, and uh, treat each other with, uh, with respect and so on, if that's your, your objective is to Uh, do that for the sake of the child, then yes, uh, if you can pull that off. It's been my experience, though, that that most parents can't. Yeah. And what happens then is there's, of course, the overt anger, the yelling and the screaming and and so on, which only makes the child, of course, feel uh, anxious. Uh, And remember, children live what they learn. And I I stress this to parents often, that we are our children's first and primary teachers. We're their model. Yeah. Exactly. And so if you're going to model a a strained, tense, cold, angry relationship, you can expect your kids to assume that that's the norm. Yeah. That's how... Uh, they themselves will likely someday uh, be coupled themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. We are, we are, we as parents teach our kids by our actions more than our words, probably. Oh, there's no question. In fact, uh, I argue that probably 90% of what we teach our kids is inferred. Uh, we don't do it uh, volitionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happens accidentally, if mm-hmm. you will. That's a high percentage, 90%. I I wouldn't have expected that. Well, think of it. How many times do you sit down with your child and actually instruct them? Mm -hmm. It really doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rather, the child sees their parent interact with the other parent, interact with other people, Mm -hmm. with with the other siblings, perhaps, and so on. And that's where the learning, the most of the learning takes place. I see. It's funny, you know, we learn things, but we don't even realize that we're learning, right? You know, kids absorb by observing. Absolutely. Oh, I, I can tell you a, a quick story that relates to that. I'd love to hear it. Uh, I have uh, two adult sons uh, now, actually an attorney who is a litigation attorney in his uh, mid-40s uh-huh. in the Southern Cal area, and uh, a younger son who just turned 40, who happens to be a a school psychologist in the Portland, Oregon area. I see. When my younger son was just five, just five, 
we were walking in the grocery store, shopping and so on. And down the aisle coming toward us is, is a young mother with a, a, a toddler, maybe, maybe two, a little girl who was having a significant hissy fit. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, terrible. Uh-huh. Well, within seconds, though, uh, the mother reacted to this temper tantrum with a temper tantrum of her own. No kidding. Uh. Right. So the two of them are going at it, and as and we just walk by them, and as we walk by them, Chad, my younger son, turns to me and says, "Dad, why don't you give that lady one of your cards?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was blown away because I had never, neither had my wife, ever sat down with him and said to him, "Well." Chad, you need to understand that your father is a clinical psychologist and blah, blah, blah. We never did that. Somehow at at that tender age, just listening and hearing the discussions that were going on, the things we were talking about, he understood basically, even at that, that small age, understood what I did and that it was appropriate. And, and then the business of a card. I didn't worry about uh-huh. <laughs> You knew the concept of marketing at five, at five years old. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what I mean is that these kids absorb mm-hmm. more than most parents ever realize. Mm. So how can we help a child get through a divorce? Because inevitably the parents can't be civil to one another inevitably the relationship will deteriorate in front of the children, which obviously is a bad thing for them to learn. And so at some point the parents will decide it's not worth staying together for the sake of the children and, and take the next plunge, which is a big step. So what can we do to have a healthy divorce? Well, first off, of course, we we have to make it very clear to the child, uh, a couple of things. One without a doubt, is that this was not their fault. Yeah. Uh, that they had nothing to do with this at all. It was, you know, it was not that because they were bad. And uh, this is, and they may not want to hear this, but this is beyond their ability to fix as well. So yeah. it's not their responsibility to fix this either. Secondly, we have to assure them that uh, they will be taken care of. Mm-hmm. that they will not be abandoned, mm-hmm. their needs will be, be taken care of, and the, the parent who is at that moment you know, walking out of the house is not abandoning them either, and they will have contact with that parent on, on a regular basis. Right. Those are the two critical points, at least to begin with. Yeah. Okay. If possible, of course, there's other things that that we can do. Try mightily uh, to not change their school, change their friends, things uh, of that nature. The the fewer additional changes that are already going on in their life, the better. Yeah. For sure. So if the goal as you say in your book is to raise independent and responsible children, and even though their parents are divorced, how do we accomplish that? Do you think the best way? Well, first again, uh, the parents have to learn, for the sake of the kids, uh, to at least in the kids' presence, to on the surface get along. Yeah. One analogy that that I heard that that I think is quite apt 
is consider the situation where you're on an airplane and and you go to the front lavatory, uh, so on, to use the facilities, uh, which is, of course, adjacent to the cockpit. And through that door, you hear screaming terrible screaming, yelling, you don't know what you're talking about. This is terrible. And, and so on. Yeah. And, and you realize that the pilot and the co-pilot are going at it. <laughs> okay. How does that make you feel? Yeah. A little insecure. Yeah. You're not paying attention to the, the flying part of their job. Exactly. Uh-huh. And, and when I heard that analogy, I went, oh, my God. You know, that that's that really says it because that's how kids feel. You know, the people that are responsible for raising them in many cases are acting crazy. Right. Uh, Like those like the pilot and the co-pilot. Children feel unsafe. Absolutely. They feel unsafe. They feel like the world has changed on a dime. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feel that the world is no longer predictable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they believe that relationships are temporary, uh, and, and so on. And those aren't good things by by any means. So the parents have to work hard at being a parent. And what I mean by that is, if you ask anyone the basic definition of a parent. Sooner or later, I think any rational person is going to say is is a good parent is someone who puts their needs secondary to those of the child. Yeah. Well, that's essentially the title of your book, right? Love your children more than you hate your ex. Exactly. So that's the point. That that while you might be frustrated and we understand and angry and and fearful and anxious and all of that, which we clearly understand uh, and so on. And your and your ex may be treating you poorly. You can't take it out on your kid. You can't expose your kid to that kind of angst. Yeah. Well, except the court, the whole court system well, the divorce process really, lends itself to confusing parents when it comes down to focusing on the kids' best interests relative to the finances of the divorce. So I know you've been a, what is it called in in Arizona, custody, when you do custody studies? Expert witness, typically. Okay, sometimes you're asked to actually interview kids and determine what the custody arrangement should be for the children, right? Oh, yes. We, we call that a family study or a custody evaluation. Okay. This right. is called something different in Massachusetts. So, I mean, when you're talking to the kids and you can make a determination, it's probably better for a third party trained like you are to make that determination because the parents get into that tussle where they're motivated a little bit by money, at least here in Massachusetts, and I presume in Arizona too, that you know the parent who has the children more is potentially could get more child support for the child. Here we have something called child support guidelines and it gives two options, which is um, one is if the children are essentially 50-50, of course, not exactly 50-50 between the two parents. And the other is if the child is with, or children are with one parent two thirds of the time and the other parent one third of the time. And depending on those percentages, the child support number will vary. Is that what it's like in Arizona? Pretty much, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are similar guidelines like that. Uh, and, and you're right. There are cases, and I've been in cases where, well, the classic case, and of course it varies, but the one that's probably most common is the case where 
father is asking for more visitation time if no other reason than to uh, lower his, his, his child support payments. Not to bash fathers, believe me, I, I understand. But uh, yes, that, that happens. And I've, I, and I've had those cases. Yeah. Can you tell, you think you can tell more often than not when that's the motive? Uh, On either parent's side, you know, where there, one parent wants to deny the other parent more time or another parent wants more time to potentially for financial reasons. Well, as I as I des- describe in, in one case in the book, yeah, uh, I I did have a case where the father was searching for a joint shared uh, custody, and so on. But I had plenty of data to show that he he had little interaction with with the young boy when they were together. And so I, I started asking him some basic questions like, "What's the name of uh, Johnny's school?" And believe it or not, he, he didn't, didn't know. know. Yeah. Uh, what grade was he in? He didn't know. Oh. What's his teacher's name? He didn't know. Mm-hmm. What's his soccer coach's name? He didn't know. So it, it was pretty clear to me that this was essentially an uninvolved father right from the get-go, and that his objective uh, to, in seeking joint shared custody was was financial primarily. Mm-hmm. It's hard to determine someone's motive sometimes because I do find that there are parents who want to be better parents during and after the divorce because they've relied so much on the other spouse that they, you know, they feel like it's time to step up. It's a little late sometimes, but um, they could have an, you know, uh, an epiphany and realize that if they're not going to be able to live with that child anymore, that at least they should be very involved. Sometimes it's hard to tell. My test for that is I have an experiment where I give the parent who hasn't been that involved in the parenting an opportunity to be more involved and see if they take it. And sometimes they commit to it, but they don't live up to it. And so I keep track of how good they are at following through, you know, do they cancel a lot of parenting time? Uh, How active are they in the child's life? And if I find given the opportunity that they more or less fail, then I realize that they weren't really they weren't up for the task, and their motivations may have been financially driven. I, I agree entirely. And I do even mention that in the book, that ironically, uh, some parents become better parents after the divorce True. than during the marriage. And for, for the reasons that you described, because now you know, they, it is kind of a, an epiphany and that you, know, you are now independent, and, and so you have to take on more of that responsibility. Yeah. And as you've suggested, I, I've had cases where, you know, during the you know, during this divorce process, which, as you know, in some instances can last a year before the, the process is finalized and one parent is demanding more time. Uh, and I'll say I'll sometimes, depending on my role and where, where I'm at, this isn't during a custody avail. I can't do counseling during a custody avail. But if I'm counseling, let's say, with a parent and so on. And I'll say, give him or her more of what they want. And let's see what happens. Exactly. And many times it's very clear. It, it doesn't take very long when we realize that he or she is simply asking for more, for more time, either A, for financial reasons, or B, just to aggravate the situation. Right. That's, a, that's another motive. Exactly. Under the hate your ex part of your title. <laughs> <laughs> right. Unfortunately, yes. Right. Yeah. 
it's such an interesting, uh, tragic, you know, divorce is obviously tragic for everybody involved, but mostly everybody. It's always the person who wants the divorce who are not as unhappy as the person who doesn't want it. Dovetailing on that, I I always say it's it's always easier, at least psychologically, to be the dumper rather than the dumpy. Yes. Yes. I'm always mindful of that. Sometimes I represent the person who wants the divorce and sometimes the person who doesn't. And sometimes the one who doesn't drags their feet in an effort kind of to punish the, (laughs) the one who wants it by not letting it happen, by not cooperating. Sure. And maybe in the hope that over a period of time, that person might change change. their mind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I haven't in my very long career as a divorce attorney, haven't seen uh, many reconciliations, only one actually. Uh, So that's a shame. So the, the, the point is that the one who's resistant to the divorce doesn't have a high likelihood of success by dragging their feet. Usually by the time it gets uh, to divorce attorneys, yes, it's it's difficult to turn around. In the 70-some, I don't know, I, I didn't count it. I'm guessing around 75 custody evals that I did in my career. I had two cases that, that actually did turn around in, in the process. Mm. And interestingly, in both instances, it had more to do with the in-laws than it did with the individual parties. That the in-laws were, in one case, it was the mother's parents. In another case, it was the father's parents who were actually pushing uh, their child uh, toward the divorce. And and once it became oh. clear to me in this evaluation, I did bring it up. And when the person admitted, well, yeah, and so on, uh, actually, in those two cases, it, it, did, uh, it did turn around. Interestingly, in both cases, I got attorneys very angry at me for playing attorney. And, and I said, no, I wasn't playing attorney. I was playing psychologist is what I was doing. Oh, that's an interesting reaction the attorneys had. It's funny, when you were telling me that story just now, I thought it was the in-laws who encouraged the people to stay together. <laughs> so it took me until a moment into your story to realize it was the ones that were, that were driving the divorce, which is an interesting tie back to one of your chapters in the book, because you say money, sex, in-laws, and kids are the reasons for marital stress. And so in-laws, in your example, were the reason for the divorce. Well, in, in those cases, yes, they, they were pushing for it. Yeah. Yeah. In-laws, of course, uh, can be significant. Yeah. Yeah. They can, they can certainly have uh, make an impression if they want to. And, and now that, that you mentioned that, let, let me just add, because I, and this is something that I do focus on the book, which I believe is not really discussed much in this field. And that is the role of grandparents. Uh-huh. Let's talk about that. My experience in in working in family law is that the parent of the son, uh, in the case of divorce, often find that they now are uh, losing much of their contact uh, with their grandchild. Mm -hmm. And I've had a couple of cases, and I cite one in the book, as a matter of fact, where it, it is devastating to them. Yeah. I had a case recently where the um, my client is the wife, and she actually is very close with her mother-in-law. Yes. The mother-in-law seems to like my client more than her own son. <laughs> One weekend, the mother-in-law said, you know, 
can I, can the kids come over? And my client, the wife said, yeah, sure. I'll bring them over. She brought them over and the kids were there for the afternoon. The kids are three and five. And then the kids said they wanted to stay for dinner. And then the kids said they wanted to stay overnight, all of which was fine with my client and fine with the grandmother. And my client went to get them the next day. Everything, the visit was fine. There were no blips. The father was furious because it wasn't his weekend, but probably involved in his fury was the fact that his mother didn't invite him over, that his mother got the parenting time. And um, it was uh, an interesting and complex circle of emotions, I think, on his part. Well, I he didn't appreciate the fact that his mother had such a good relationship with his own children. Well, see, my my initial reaction to that is, you know, there's an individual who appears to be pretty egocentric. It would seem to me that his children had had a lovely time with their with their grandparent, and that should be good. That yeah. didn't necessarily, I assume, take away his parenting time. No, it didn't. Yeah. So why would he be upset that his kids had a lovely time with their grandparents? Exactly my question. I know. So there's so many interesting things to talk about. The book raises a lot of very important topics, yet people still have conflict and still children are deeply affected for the rest of their lives, um, going through their parents' divorce and then living with the aftermath, which includes, of course, step-parents. And that's always an interesting topic. I say to clients who are dating while divorcing, I say, you know, it's not illegal. It's not against the law to date while you're divorcing, but it's just inflammatory. And um, I've had and I'm sure you've seen situations where uh, a parent brings in a new, a new romantic interest, and there's controversy about whether to introduce that new romantic interest to the children. Have you seen that come up? Oh, absolutely. Well, this gets back to one of the issues that uh, I talk about initially in the book, and that is how we couple and recouple. And I mentioned that uh, I attended a, a workshop, oh, this is now a couple of decades ago, that was uh, put on by a couple of uh, psychologists, uh, clinical and forensic psychologists, and a judge. And one of the first things I remember the judge said, and it sticks with me today, uh, and he was a divorce judge, he said, in his experience, the majority of the parties, when they come in to sign their final decree, already have a, a new partner at their side. Hmm. And that was his experience. And to me, that's, that is so problematic. I get it. You know, going through a separation and divorce is emotionally devastating, very difficult. And, and when someone else begins to give you some kind of quality attention, it's like cocaine. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, you know, I, I am an attractive person. You know, someone else finds me. Someone likes me. <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. this is a great thing. And so what happens is we jump into these new relationships very, very quickly without doing our vetting, if you will. Right. You're not examining the rope. Yeah. <laughs> we bring this person in very quickly and it's very, very difficult. Uh-huh. It's difficult on the children. It's difficult on the new party and so forth. It's difficult on the ex. It's like, wait a minute, who's this new person now that's raising my kids? I mean, and how long have they been in the picture? They exactly, <laughs> right. right. Oh, it it is a mess and a half. Yeah, it 
if you're not if you're not careful. Yeah, and plus, as nice as it is to be in a new romantic relationship while you're divorcing and and soon thereafter, people aren't in the right frame of mind to get into a serious relationship. They're just too needy. I say in the book that if you have just broken a long-term committed relationship, you need a year of counseling before you commit to another long-term connection. I agree. You need to have uh, your head clear and your goals focused. No question. Good. Well, it's been a lovely conversation, uh, Larry. We've been talking with Dr. Larry Waldman from Phoenix, Arizona, who is a uh, forensic psychologist and also done a lot with family lawyers and and uh, divorcing parents as well as children. And I thank you for this interview. Well, thank you. Uh, again, if you want to connect with me directly, my email address is Larry Waldman, W-A-L-D-M-A-N, Ph.D. at Cox, C-O-X dot net. Wonderful. I hope that people will be in contact with you if you have a lot of valuable advice to give. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. If you'd like more information about the topics covered in our podcast, please contact us at Grossman & Associates. You'll find a competent and experienced team of compassionate, responsive, and innovative legal professionals. Email me at hindell at grossmanltd.com. My first name is spelled H-I-N-D-E-L-L. Or call us at 617-969-0069. Thank you for listening.